And now, it's First and Goal with your host, Big Bear and the Curtain Guy. Friends, it's almost that time. Fall camp is coming to a close across the country as we anxiously await those crisp fall Saturday mornings filled with the smell of tailgate food, the sounds of screaming fans, and pads popping. College football is almost back. I'm the curtain guy, Cole Schutte. I'm Big Bear T. Tyler Bansky. And this is First and Goal. Now, before we get into our episode, Big Bear, a little late, but happy anniversary. Happy anniversary, buddy. We finally made it a year. A whole year. Yeah, I didn't. 29 episodes. You kidding me? We've been able to put up with our own bullshit that long. (laughs) You know, they always say fake it till you make it. But I I still think we're in the the first part of that. Yeah, we'll we'll try. Our Instagram is pretty damn fire, though. You guys have really been popping off with our top 25. We appreciate that. So when this episode is released, it will have been over one year of producing this podcast for all of you college football fans. And we cannot stress enough how grateful we are to everyone who has been with us from the beginning and those who have joined in along the way. We've totaled over 1,500 listens in seven different countries. And honestly, Big Bear, that's something I don't think you or myself ever imagined happening in our first year. Nope, not at all. But I can promise you this, we will continue to build this podcast and refine our skills to provide the most authentic, informative experience, and we look forward to growing even more in year two. I also wanted to provide a shout out to our countless co-hosts over the past year, boss man Jake Diefenthaler, Showtime Steve Hammond, the greatest marketer alive, Sam Armstrong, Jeff Booth, Brandon Duffy, David Beck, Justin Kripe, Kyle Pohl, and Mason Hines. None of this would have been possible without your insight. But ladies and gentlemen, let's get into it. Oh, let's go. Big Bear, a year ago, we started this journey discussing NIL and how we thought it would impact the landscape of college football. So I think it's fitting that we return to this subject. What have you seen over the past year in NIL that has maybe surprised you? And where do you see this headed over the next year? Well, okay. July 2021, we get NIL. Name, image, and likeness to those of you who haven't listened to our first show. And since then, we have seen utter chaos ensue. We started with little deals being put in place with some brands. Now, we're I mean, we're talking multi-million dollar deals are now being put on the table, which is insane to the average college football fan. Schools are now introducing collectives where, in essence, boosters can kind of funnel money to recruits and players legally where before that was kind of a no-no. But you're seeing the best teams have a new edge to them, and, and you even see some programs are now reinvigorated. And take the Miami Hurricanes, for example. They got booster John Ruiz, who has run rampant with NIL deals, some of which now coming into legal scrutiny but we won't get into that stuff because that's for an episode down the road. On the recruiting side, there's players cashing in 
again, like I said, on deals of multi-million dollar scale. One of the main ones we'll highlight is Tennessee getting quarterback Nico Lamalieva with a reported $8 million NIL deal over four years. You got Miami once again with Jaden Rashada. This is insane. You got NFL first round players making the same amount essentially as 18 year old kids who haven't even taken a snap on campus. Just insane. And and I like your second part of the question. Where do we go from here? Well, shit, let's just throw water at the fan and, and pray because until we get regulation, I don't really think there will be any sort of control. I think, and again, that, that regulation, the momentum of that's kind of been died down lately there. It needs to ramp up, but it's going to continue to get worse until then. I think guidelines when they are put in place will be the end of the NCAA because in recent history, they're showing just how little effort they put on college sports. And they've taken on, I, I found this statistic, they've taken on over $300 million in legal expenses in the last several years alone. So capping this off until these controls are in place, I don't see this getting any better. I see it getting worse these deals will just continue to escalate and escalate into madness, man. I don't, I'm sure you feel the same way. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. It's been insane to see how this has evolved or I guess devolved into what it is now. I don't think anybody in the country envisioned this getting to this point this quickly. I think we all had in the back of our heads saying, yeah, this will probably get off the tracks here in a few years, but it took a matter of months, weeks before all hell broke loose. I mean, obviously we knew that NIL was going to have a massive influence over the game, especially when it came to roster management and recruiting. I think we've just begun to see the chaos that NIL will cause until the NCAA or like you mentioned, whatever governing body takes control of the super conferences places, guidelines, laws, and caps on how this can be utilized. The biggest thing that sticks out to me right now is the inducing part of the name image and likeness with regards to recruiting. You mentioned it with uh, Nico Lama Lavea. Um, you're seeing it with, other high-end recruits that are going to schools that in the past couple of years probably don't land those kids, if we're being completely honest with ourselves. You're seeing these schools promising funds to these recruits in order to sway them to commit to their program. Subsequently, in some of these cases, these kids are finding out that these schools are over-promising and under-delivering when it comes to the amount of these deals. and. We'll touch on it in a little bit, but it's going to feed right into the transfer portal problem. Don't get me wrong. Since we began these discussions, I have always thought that NIL is a wonderful thing. After seeing how much these athletes are earning for their respective schools, they absolutely should be allowed to earn their slice of the pie. The piece that I keep coming back to and focusing on is the earning portion of that statement. If you are a high-level football player and a household name, that normally results in increased jersey sales, ticket sales, whatever you may have that directly increases the profits 
of your respective university. And then you, as an athlete, should be allowed to make deals with local businesses or even the university itself to capitalize off that success. Sure. What doesn't sit well with me is slush funds, collectives, private donors using their wealth to essentially buy recruiting classes. And I know this has been happening under the table for as long as this sport has been around. It's just out in the open now. My primary concern is, like I talked about before, uh, the transfer portal, but also another topic that we've discussed ad nauseum, parity. When you look at college football as a whole, there are really only 10 to 12 programs who can consistently compete in the realm of bidding for players. And I think that moves us farther away from what we all believed NIL would help with. The other thing that I want to touch on is you mentioned some of these big time boosters and donors that are buying these classes. These guys don't have unlimited money as much as their fans want to believe they do. What they're doing at places like Miami, places like Tennessee, places like USC, they're going to go out and try and build a monster recruiting class. And then they're going to take a couple of years off to recoup all that money that they spent and hope that that incoming class does something special, wins a conference championship, goes to the playoffs, wins a big time bowl game to almost act as a spark plug for the rest of the program to elevate it to this spot where they don't have to do that consistently year in and year out. Oh, 100%. People who sit there and argue that these millionaire, even billionaire um, fans of the game, they'll put whatever dollar amount it takes to win a championship. Well, that's that's just not true. Uh, John Rees, Phil Knight, just the one off the top of my head at Oregon. Yeah, they'll put some money in to create an atmosphere where you can get recruiting classes, but they're they're millionaires. They were created to make money. They know what their money is worth to them. They're not just going to go throwing it away at the fan and, and pray something sticks. It, they've known what success is, and they've got a dollar amount. They're probably budgeting how much per year. Okay, yeah, I can put this much in the program and 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 be okay, right? So I like what you said. They're going to put this money in in one year. They're going to hope they get this big class, kind of like a Texas A and M class. Let's. I mean, we'll get into the Jimbo and um, Nick Saban fight a little later, but. You're 100% right. They're they're betting all their money on one horse, a.k.a. the 2022-2023 class. And they're going to see if it pays off down the road. But again, it's a gamble. And how much are you willing to pay for that? Absolutely. And that's that's a terrifying thought. If you're a fan of Miami or Tennessee, this could work out and awaken a sleeping giant. Those are two programs off the top of my head that Yes, they have the ability, they have the fan base, they have the facilities to be consistently competitive and compete for the top end of college football. But if this doesn't work out, you slide right back into being a museum program for another five years until those donors more or less give it another go around. So like you said, you're throwing darts at a dartboard and really hoping that something fantastic sticks. The other side of this new NIL world is yet another subject that we've touched on, and I mentioned earlier, the transfer portal. 
inevitably many of these players will be upset with the amount of money they received or lack thereof their NIL opportunities, amount of playing time, so on and so forth. Big bear with the NCAA now expected to eliminate the restriction that would prevent players from entering the transfer portal multiple times. How do you see this affecting the college football landscape? That's a really good question. And I could say that I'm, I'm pretty torn on this topic. Uh, well, go, give you a good example. Jordan Addison, right? The Blitnikoff winner at Pittsburgh, whether there was tampering involved or not, he makes his way out to LA to USC. And then there's a report a couple of weeks later where it's not necessarily what he expected it would be, right? He's probably was promised money and these endorsement deals to come there because he's an award-winning wide receiver with a year eligibility left. Why wouldn't you? So that's part one, right? Now, do I think that this move by the NCAA is going to create more transfers and likewise more problems for some programs? Yes. Um, do I think we will end up with an exponentially higher number of players transferring? No, because with the unlimited transfer rule, I could see players begin to team up and form all-star programs, kind of like we already do, where they're just going to annihilate people, or there's those big NIL slush fund money schools luring the top talent from each team because, let's be real, money talks. I can't imagine we're going to end up with more players transferring because the one-time transfer rule already opened up that realm of possibilities with being able to move and not sit out a year. What we'll likely see are the players who already transferred are probably going to transfer again. And I feel that the majority of players appear, they'll be like the creatures of habit. You know, they're, they are going to stay put because one, their proximity to home or their reasoning to get away from home. Uh, the coaching staffs they went to be with or just players who are so damn determined to make something go to the league to get their degree and pursue what they want to pursue and, and the resources they have around them already. I think they'll stay put. No, I mean, you, you said it perfectly. It was open. The door was open already. Now we've just taken the door off its hinges and thrown it in a wood chipper. Because we're not getting any sort of, quote unquote, normalcy back to this. What you've done to college football, in my mind, is a variation of free agency. Uh, when you combine the elimination of the transfer portal restrictions with NIL, no one's roster is safe. Teams will absolutely look to poach high-end talent from other programs to plug holes in their roster or to simply bolster their depth chart if they so choose. And this is where culture becomes such a key aspect when recruiting now, because not only do you want to make sure that that verbal commitment sticks until December or February even, but you want to make sure that once that player has signed, that their commitment sticks for three, four, five years, however many they are with the program. The other side of this, and anyone who's listening who has transferred as a quote-unquote normal student will know how difficult it can be to transfer credits and academic progress from one university to another. This could create a nightmare situation for programs trying to determine if these transfers are even 
academically eligible to play, let alone any position battles they may face. So I, I understand transferring for a new scenery, a new opportunity. You know, if you're buried at third or fourth on the depth chart and you want to go somewhere smaller that, you know, they really don't have anybody to compete for that spot. Sure. You want to get playing time. Like you said, you want to put your name in the air to get drafted, to be noticed by scouts. Maybe there's a, a, a program, a degree that you want, a graduate degree that that school doesn't have. Yeah, that makes sense if it, it makes sense on the field as well. But there are going to be so many kids that are going to find whatever mental loophole they need to justify it to simply move on to the next open spot. And if they continuously stack those kinds of moves and those kinds of years, ultimately they're going to do damage to themselves and their ultimate life's goals. Yeah. The grass ain't always greener on the other side, folks. No. And I, you know, it's, it's a quote that I've actually really become fond of as I, as we grow older in our, you know, our age and, and, uh, fun fact about everybody, big bear has starting to convert me into one of those lawn guys. So this is a very fitting metaphor. Ooh, ooh yeah. Our lawn <laughs> podcast will be coming out in about three months. Once the snow hits, no, gosh, just what I need. Another podcast that shows my mediocrity. But the, the, the phrase is, if you think the grass is greener on the other side, try spending time watering your own. And I, I think that's incredibly fitting in this situation. All of these kids think, well, if I, if I transfer over there, there's a spot for me. I'll start right away. I'll, I'll get a bunch of catches. Well, what are you not doing in your current location that isn't providing those opportunities? What's missing there? And if it's simply something that you're not doing, then maybe you need to reevaluate how you're approaching your career so far. Now, if it is something that the scheme doesn't fit you, like I said, the, the education that you want to better yourself with isn't there, then by all means, take advantage of it. Utilize those resources to better yourself. But don't, don't do it just because there's a minor inconvenience to you. Touching on the third of these monumental college football changes, as we'll call them, is conference realignment and the building of super conferences. The latest move in this saga is something that hits close, close to home for both of us. Last month, it was announced that USC and UCLA will be leaving the Pac-12 and heading to the Big Ten in August of 2024. Big Bear, give me your thoughts on the move for these two schools. Is this a good move for the Trojans and the Bruins? Is this a good move for the Big Ten? Do you think your Ducks will eventually join them and make the move to the Midwest Premier Conference? Good for the Big Ten, absolutely. Good for universities being able to make almost four times what they're currently making in media deals, 100%. Good for the student-athletes, hell to the no. At least not right now, because as the Big Ten stands right now, UC or sorry, USC and UCLA are four and a half hour flight and two time zones away from their closest Big Ten opponent in Iowa. On top of already managing their classes with practice, 
weight room times, film sessions, team meetings, team dinners, sessions with their primary positions. Now these kids have to load up on a frequent flyer mile basis weekly or biweekly and deal with massive amounts of jet lag so they can play a game at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Just just shoot me. So this kind of leads me to my second part of your question, Cole, because I think the Big Ten is continuously looking out west or maybe even down south for more teams to add. L.A. was the huge market to grab getting USC and UCLA. Hopefully UCLA sticks with this deal. That's yet to be seen. But if the Big Ten wants to get a serious stronghold over the SEC, I, I think why not conquer all four corners of the nation? I think the Pac-12's dying breed because they're never going to find a deal strong enough to keep teams like Oregon, Washington, Stanford, Cal. The advantages of going to the Big Ten and adding these schools is the increased West Coast competition to keep the traveling down for the two California schools. The longstanding rivalries Cal and Stanford already have with Notre Dame, which Notre Dame, it's clear to everyone, Notre Dame's the biggest fish for the Big Ten right now. And the fact there's not many schools in front of the teams like Oregon, Washington, and Stanford that bring in more viewership and they're not members of the ACC, Big Ten, or SEC already. So finishing with that thought, sure, maybe add some of those teams. But the last thing is, why not call Miami and Florida State? The grant of rights is one thing that holds the SEC and the Big Ten from poaching any of the ACC teams at this point. But when it comes down, and I expect those two programs are prime candidates to be on board, be uh, expanding the landscape and creating those recruiting avenues in Florida, not just, and just beating the SEC to the punch is going to be the important part for the Big Ten. So I think whoever strikes first down south again, will also be a big piece for the super conferences. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that we knew this is the direction that college football was headed, right? So to see a big-time move like this after Texas and Oklahoma announced their move to the SEC just solidifies the intention of the super conferences in the near future. Like you mentioned, if you're looking at it from a marketing, money, and growth aspect, yeah, this is a home-run addition to the Big Ten. The conference now literally stretches from coast to coast. You're talking about Rutgers in New Jersey, all the way to LA in California with USC and UCLA. And like you also mentioned, these are some enormous TV markets. So these two programs, while not having the same amount of success that we've seen in the past, are still household names. People will want to tune in to watch USC play Ohio State or Michigan in October, rather than having to wait until January where they may possibly see a matchup like that in the Rose bowl. But I'm with you. If you're looking at the functionality of these additions, it becomes a little tricky. Having to move all of your luggage, your roster, your travel roster across the country to play at either 9am or one of those infamous PAC 12 or now big 10 at nights, you know, at 10 30, that's going to be rough on some players, especially if you're asking them to do that and then turn around and play a noon banger the next Saturday. That's a lot to ask of these athletes. So I, I understand it from a growth aspect, but I would like to see the schedule be developed maybe a little more carefully in the future, because I agree with you. I think that Oregon would be a good fit in the big 10. I understand that there are, certain aspects that they'd want to try and hit on. 
there's obviously that academic part of it. They also have a lot of pride in their basketball programs. But I think that Oregon and subsequently Washington are two programs that kind of fit the Big Ten's mold and would be easy to plug in. I also believe that Stanford is one of those schools that could fit in really nicely as well. And if you are adding an academic prowess like Stanford to schools like Michigan, to schools like Northwestern, you're only strengthening the conference in all aspects. The only other school that I could think of that is technically down south that the Big Ten has considered is TCU. And I strongly believe that's for the Dallas-Fort Worth market. I think the Big Ten is on the same attack plan that you mentioned. You want to hit those major TV markets. You want to hit that Seattle region and, you know, up into Washington with with Oregon and and Washington. If you can hit TCU and hit the Dallas-Fort Worth on top of L.A., on top of New Jersey, you know, on top of you've already dominated the Midwest outside of NBC, which – now the new TV deals are, you're going to get a whole lot more Big Ten football. I don't believe Notre Dame will ever come to the Big Ten. And obviously with the new deal they just signed, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Uh, you never say never in, in this day and age is college football, because like you said, money talks and people will change based off of however much money they offer. But that's more or less where I see the program, the the conference going because I believe the big 10 wants to get to 20 teams and become that legitimate super conference to compete with the sec. Um, and I think if you had to ask me which four schools I would add, it would be Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and TCU. And I believe that would be a good stopping point. That's a good point. I love that you said, man, could you imagine if the Big Ten was coast to coast? Those of you who don't really, I mean, no one knows this except you and I, Cole, but our original podcast name was going to be Coast to Coast. And he's a, Cole's more of a uh, Big Ten expert. I have more of a Pac-12 expert. Seemed kind of fitting now when we think about it. I guess we could have waited a year, but you guys couldn't have gone that long without us. Let's be real. So. (laughs) Look, everybody, we're going to go for a quick break. When we come back, we are going to dive into our top week zero matchup. And I hope everybody watches their volume for the next five seconds because I'm going to scream in five, four, three, two, one. Football's back, people! We'll be right back. We here at First and Goal want to take this time to thank you for listening and provide a quick word to potential sponsors. We're looking to get your brand on our show. The First and Goal podcast, as well as the Walk on Red Shirts, is continuously growing and can help spread your brand to college football fans across the country. If you have any interest in joining us or just curious about what we can offer, please reach out to us at Walk on Red Shirts or at Goal underscore First. Welcome back, everybody. Damn, it feels good to say that. (laughs) We start the 2022 goal line stand season with an international Big Ten matchup. That's right. I said international. We have Nebraska versus Northwestern in Dublin, Ireland, Big Bear. You have two teams 
who record-wise were not that impressive in 2021. Both programs finished three and nine and one and eight in the Big Ten. And they're looking to start this season off on the right foot. Big Bear, what are you looking for in this matchup? What intrigues you the most? And who do you ultimately see starting the season one and oh? Well, you know, I always find the week zero matchups to be the most entertaining because you don't have any expectations of what football season's about to bring at you. So I figured I would take the route of this being more entertaining. Let's go through some fun facts, shall we? How about six of the first 11 Big Ten games between Nebraska and Northwestern were decided by three or fewer points? The line in this one is Nebraska by less than 13. Northwestern scored 14 or fewer points in seven of their last eight games in 2021. So points-wise, interesting, interesting, interesting. Uh, Nebraska's 14-1 all-time in the month of August, and they're 7-1 against Power 5 opponents with an average score being... 34 to 12, which I find funny based on what your final score will be, Cole. We'll get to that in a minute. Scott Frost, head coach of Nebraska, 19 of his 29 losses at Nebraska have been by a touchdown or less, and 11 of them were lost by five or fewer points. And then let's throw this last very interesting one into the fold is that Nebraska averaged 447 yards of offense last season, ranking number 20 in college football. Actually, it was the school's best showing since 2008. So those Scott Frost haters can shove it because he's showing progress. Don't let the record distract you. At 3-9, and nine, yeah, it kind of sucked. But the offense seems to be doing pretty good. And boy, are they adding some good players. What's going to happen in this game? Well, you know, the two points that were really sticking out to me was Northwestern having a hard time scoring more than 14 points, but also the fact that Scott Frost is hot in August. Um, I always feel like week zero, the defense tends to dominate. Let's look at, think about last week or last year's week one, Clemson and Georgia. It was a 10 to three score. And you're talking about the national champions, right? I think this will be a similar turnout, even though it's in Dublin. It's, it's going to be a weird atmosphere. You're not playing at home. You are across the globe. I think Nebraska wins, first of all. I think that the, the, the over-under is 50.5 points. I think they're going to be under that. I say this final score is Nebraska 21 and Northwestern 10. really looking for a defensive battle here aren't you I, I think it's just it's what's meant to be it's week zero this is that's what you want to show the people in ireland that's what you <laughs> that's what you're giving them for college football hey it's more points than their football gets <laughs> big bear nebraska might have been the best three and nine team ever in college football history that might sound strange, but when you look at the scores of their games, eight of their nine losses came by one score or less. And their ninth loss was by nine points. They had positioned themselves in so many of those games to win. 
and simply didn't make the plays to do it. So now the question becomes, can they make those plays in 2022 and turn the page in what has been an abysmal five-year span in Lincoln? Scott Frost is trying to do that by hitting the transfer portal, and he hit it hard, bringing in the names uh, Casey Thompson, the quarterback from Texas, LSU wide receiver Trey Palmer, Alabama defensive lineman Stefan Wynn, TCU defensive end Ochan Mathis, and the list goes on. In total, 22 transfers, 18 of which are first-year players with only 184 starts. Excuse me. Now, I have to believe that Casey Thompson is a much better option at quarterback, and I believe the wide receivers that I mentioned above, along with DeColdis Crawford, who may have the greatest NIL deal so far in college football, right up there with Kool-Aid McKinstry, combined with new offensive coordinator Mark Whipple, should provide a much-needed spark for a passing offense that only produced 14 passing touchdowns in 2021. That isn't going to cut it. Now, Northwestern has won the West two out of the last four years. But the years that they aren't in Indianapolis, it's it's been ugly to watch. And last year was one of those years. But Pat Fitzgerald is a defensive guy, and that's what the Wildcats have always hung their hat on. So I have to know where they're going with this, because last year they ranked 101st in total defense. They lost Chris Bergen. They lost their best safety, who transferred to Notre Dame. So who fills in? Who provides that spark that Northwestern can hang their hat on once again and and allow themselves to be in games, to be in a position to actually win? Because unlike Nebraska, Northwestern was just flat out getting the doors blown off of them most games, including a 56-7 loss to Nebraska last year. So just looking at this, like you said, week zero, a lot of question marks, no answers. That's what makes it fun. Put that on top of the fact that you're in a foreign country. Each team has new pieces they're trying to implement. And it's going to be a wild ride. But looking at the talent on paper, looking at the moves each program made in the offseason, I think Nebraska is in a better position to start their season 1-0. And truthfully, I think will be a big surprise to a lot of people throughout the season. I think they will have a phenomenal turnaround and could even potentially contend for the Big Ten West. So with that being said, I'm also picking the Cornhuskers, but I have them winning 35 to 13. Breaking that over. I I think Nebraska finally finds a way to actually utilize the offensive weapons they had. and, And I really like the front seven talent they brought in from the portal. Now, all those guys could not mesh well and it could go up in a ball of flames, but 
looking at it, you know, on in August, it, it looks pretty enticing on paper. Now, this is the one week zero game we're going to preview on the show, but we will be picking more as we bring back our goal line stand between Kurt and Guy and I. So make sure to tune into our Twitter and our Instagram. It's at goal underscore first to see what our week zero predictions are. We'll be interested to go over these week by week with all of you. Otherwise, I'm just excited for football to be back. I mean, come on, sitting in front of the TV. Where are you going to be on Saturday, Cole? I will be, I will actually, for once, be at my bar, my my newly installed bar, actually watching football. Um, then after that, it becomes uh, an anomaly of weddings and potentially being able to watch football like my life always is in the fall. Hashtag ban fall weddings, as Jake would say. Absolutely. But I, I'm excited. I really am. It's, you know, it's it's that time of year again. We've been waiting all offseason feeding off of any news and updates that we can get our hands on. And and it's finally time to tee the ball up and, and get to it. That's right, people. So tune in this weekend. Interact with us on social media. We will be back. The new season is underway. We are first and goal.